We're in week two of our series called Secure, the story of God and Gideon. And if you know the story of Gideon, you probably wouldn't have um, described it as the story of God and Gideon. You'd describe it as Gideon, um, uh, the uh, Israel only you know, wipes out a whole army with only 300 guys. That, that's kind of the crux of what happens in the story of Gideon. That's what everybody knows is that um, they get about 10,000 guys together and God says, nope, too many, and they whittle it all down to 300. And the point of Gideon is that God can do anything with a little bit. And, and that is definitely one of the points of the story of Gideon. There's no doubt about that, and we'll be talking about that. But the overarching story of Gideon is that there's a time of chaos in Israel. And as we begin to study the character of Gideon in this, we see that that chaos, uh, those circumstances that are chaotic, really have an effect on how he talks to God, how he reacts, how he um, uh, interacts with God. And you can see in in the whole story of Gideon, there's just a lot of um, angst, okay, and, and uh, why I love the story so much and why I wanted to do a series on it is because I think in a lot of ways that's, that's what's going on now for us. I mean, it doesn't take long, but probably two seconds if you want to go on the internet and go on your favorite blog or your favorite news channel or your favorite whatever or your favorite Facebook post that's been going back and forth and it's just angst. We worry about this. What happens if this happens? What happens if this person's elected? What happens if this person's not elected? What, what happens with measles? What happens with Ebola? What happens with ISIS? What happens with, you know, all, all these different dresses that look one color one day and another color the other day? And it's like, no, no. What, what I, th- this is black, by the way, just so we're clear. Okay. <laughs> like, like angst. It's just a lot of angst. Well, Israel was going through the same thing. Well, what had happened was God had placed Israel in this land and all they were supposed to do was follow him, okay? And God made it like super, super clear. Follow me, good things are going to happen. You don't follow me, bad things are going to happen. Well, they didn't follow him and so bad things happened. The Midianites, this this people, we'll talk about them a little bit more. Um, They were, God kind of allowed them to harass Israel for seven years to just remind Israel that um, it's important to serve God. God knew that would be best for them. And so like any loving parent that, you know, if you've ever disciplined a child or you're a teacher or you're in a place of authority and you've had to say, look, what you're doing is going to go bad for you. So I'm going to have to discipline you to stop you from doing what's going to go bad for you. We're going to do a short-term thing to try to have a long-term uh, a good life for you. And that's exactly what God did. And so um, uh, uh, finally they cry out to God. They find, they, it looks like they've learned their lesson. They cry out to God and they say, God, you know, can you come save us? And so God sends a prophet to walk around and to remind them that, look, this is why this happened. Just so we're clear. You know, we're going to save it, but th- this is what happened. You know, just to give you a reminder. And so they... Um, uh, we, this is where we found Gideon last week, you know, just as review. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under an oak uh, in Ophrah that belonged to Joash, uh, the Abizrite, um, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Now, um, I forgot my glasses, so we're going to do this blind. Uh, and, and so that's where we find Gideon, in this place where he's using a wine press, Right? To thresh wheat. And we talked about this last week. Threshing wheat was supposed to happen in the open. 
Okay, uh, it was supposed to happen in the light. It was supposed to happen out. But because the Midianites continued to um, uh, kind of ravish them, they had to hide. And we talked a little bit last week about our lives are supposed to be out in the open. Our lives are supposed to be out. You know, God has designed us to be in the light and to be free and to be, and yet we, we, we tend to hide in these different wine presses of insecurity and of fear and of bitterness and unforgiveness and all this kind of stuff, just trying to eke out a living. And it's not supposed to be that way. And so this wheat is supposed to be out in the open and you rub it and the chaff comes off and you throw it up in the air and all the heavy wheat comes back down into your thing and all the chaff gets taken away. And Gideon's hiding. And so God comes in the form of this um, angel of the Lord. And this isn't the first time we see an angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord actually called Abraham from heaven. So in Abraham's case, the angel of the Lord kind of just went like, hey, Abraham, you know, in this case, the angel of the Lord shows up kind of like he did for Moses when the angel of the Lord showed up in the burning bush. And so the angel of the Lord shows up. And this was the second thing we talked about last week. That he says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. The angel of the Lord identifies Gideon as something Gideon doesn't even identify himself as. And we talked about this last week, that God sees you differently than you see you. And we said that could be good or bad. And so if you think highly of yourself, he thinks a little differently than that. And if you, you think you're worthless, he thinks differently than that. We talked about the fact that he knows you better than you know you. And he knows what you're feeling when you're living life in a wine press when you should be out in the open. He knows what you're feeling when you're hoarding and he's saying, I got, I got it. I, I, I can take care of it. And so that's what he does. Uh, he, he, um, uh, he calls a mighty warrior. And they, they have a little dialogue and all this kind of stuff. And Gideon finally comes to the point where he's like, wow. Like really the Midianites might be destroyed like through what I'm, I'm going to do. And so he says this. And, and again, when you read the story, and ho- hopefully you guys have kind of gone back and read it during the week or not, but um, you just see this interchange between the angel of the Lord and the Lord. It's like uh, um, uh, the angel of the Lord shows up as kind of a physical representative with full authority to talk for God, but then, then it's the Lord talking, and then, God's, then Gideon's talking to the angel of the Lord, and he's talking to the Lord. It's kind of this weird interplay. And so, I, I, to, again, it's just the angst and the turmoil of what's going on as Gideon begins to, and this is what we're going to talk about this morning, Gideon begins to step out into obedience. As all of a sudden, how God sees Gideon, Gideon might begin to see Gideon. And so what he does is he tells God, essentially, hold on, just wait. I'm going to go bring you back an offering. And we talked about this last week. And we talked about the fact that the God of the universe, who, who created the entire universe, the God who knows the number of hairs on your head, the God who uh, is in control, who's all-powerful, all-knowing, um, who's omnipresent, who's um, God, okay? Gideon tells him to wait. And the Lord says this, I will wait until you return. God sat down under a tree waiting for Gideon to prepare his offering. We talked about this last week. In some of our cases, God's waiting for you to return. 
That he's not going after you. He's not upset. He's not saying, no, I don't, I'm not going to wait for you. I've told you. I've warned you. I've said this. Uh, what God wants out of your, your life is wholeness. And so we talked about the fact that God is more interested in wholeness than promptness. And so he wants you to return back to him. To begin this process of your next step into your, your journey of, of uh, a relationship with Almighty God. And so God says, I will wait and so we encouraged you last week to, to not make him wait too long. And <laughs> that if there's some stuff you're trying to get figured out, we talked about, well, I, I, I just, I, I know I should trust him in this little area, you know, of my finances, but I got to get this deal done. Once I get this deal, I'm going to be the most honest business person in the world. I know I should trust him in my relationships, but this one, I'm afraid of being alone. We'll just see how this one goes. And then once it's over, then we'll, I'll be, and then I'm, I'm, I'm right back. And the Lord says, well, let's see how living in the wine press works for you that way. But at some point, I want you out in the open. I, I want you to be living life the way you're supposed to live it in freedom from sin and bondage and insecurity and all these types of things. So this is where we find Gideon now. Okay, Gideon tells God to wait, and God says, okay, I'll, I'll wait for you. And so Gideon goes home uh, to make an offering. And, and, and again, um, as you study the scriptures and, and even a little bit the historical uh, kind of context of what's going on, some things should... you. There should be some questions raised if you're a student of the Bible and you begin to see something the Bible said a little bit earlier and then you see something else and you go, man, that doesn't quite match up. And here, this is one of those cases. So Gideon went inside and he prepared a young goat. Prepared means killed um, and, uh, and, and, and filleted, okay? So just so we're clear uh, what that means. He prepared a young goat and from an ephah of flour, he made bread without yeast. Now he made bread without yeast because if he made... Then he's really making God wait, and God probably would have left, wait for it to rise. He, he makes this unleavened uh, bread, this bread without uh, yeast in it. Now, what's incredible is that this ephah of flour he made uh, was really generous. Like, like it's, it makes like 10 uh, like flour cakes about 8 to 10 inches wide, like 10 of those things he made. And so you begin to ask yourself, well, what's going on with Gideon? Because I thought, when I read the Bible earlier, first of all, that there were no goats and sheep and all that kind of stuff. And, um, and I also read that, uh, that, that the Midianites would, would come and ravish everything. So is Gideon being like super generous right now? Like this is the last that he has or, 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 or what's going on? Also, Gideon said to the angel of the Lord, I'm the least of, you know, how can I save Israel? I'm from the least of the families and I'm the least of the least and all this kind of stuff. And yet it turns out that in this time, this is a really generous thing. Maybe, maybe their family's not doing that poorly. Maybe Gideon has kind of done a pretty good job with his whole wine press uh, hiding thing that it's actually turning out pretty good for him. And so he's able to do this kind of stuff. We, we don't know. But as you read this story, there's lots of these things where you kind of the reader would go, what's God trying to say here? And so he makes this bread without yeast. He puts the meat in the basket. And he puts the broth in a pot and he brings them out and offered them to him under the oak. So God did actually wait for all of this to take place. I wonder how long that took. You know, you have to go get the goat. You got to cut it up, 
or no, I don't have a better way to say that. Uh, you know, you got to cook it. You got to make this bread. And yeah, you didn't have to wait for the stuff to rise, but uh, you, you got to like make a, a, you know, cook it. But it's just a simple meal, bread and some meat and some broth. And God waits for that. And so he comes out and here's what the angel of the Lord says to him. He says, take the meat and the unleavened bread and place them on this rock. Now, let me just tell you what's happening right now. This is altar language. What, what Gideon was bringing the angel of the Lord was an offering. It was a meal. It was like, uh, you know, I want to bless you. And you'll see this in the Old Testament. A lot of times a visitor will come and the person will prepare a meal, just an offering to them. And the angel of the Lord is taking that meal and he's turning it into something else. He starts using altar language. And then he says this, and pour out the broth which is a complete and utter waste. Now, if you're a hoarder, like it looks like Gideon is, and he's kind of thinking about every little piece of wheat counts and everything, and he's trying to make sure everything's going okay. And all of a sudden, you bring your offering to somebody, and they say, hey, dump the broth on the ground. In the back of your mind, you're thinking, well, I don't know if I want to do that. Has God ever asked you to do something that seemed kind of like a waste. It seemed like you were giving up something that, man, I worked really hard for this. Uh, I don't know if I feel great about this. I don't, I don't know. This feels awkward that we just pour the broth out on the, on the ground over the thing. But this is what happens when God begins to take simple things and turn them into sacred things. That we, we begin to have this tension of, I want to control my own life and have my own stuff and all this kind of stuff. And, and once I get it all right, then I'm just going to serve the Lord with all my heart. And God says, I'd rather have you in a place of risk. I'd rather have you in a place where you're not understanding what's coming next. And here's this just little, tiny little phrase that comes after this story. I, I just hit me this week. It says, and Gideon did so. Gideon took one simple little step of obedience. And because he did that, some things began to unfold that there is no way Gideon could have ever, ever seen it happen. He gives one little offering that that God says, look, thanks for the meal. We're going to waste it right now. Just put it on the rock and pour the broth out. Just waste it. And Gideon does it. Let me tell you what I've seen in ministry and just seen in my own life. Oftentimes, God will ask me to do something small that's difficult for me. And and I don't want to do it. It doesn't make any sense. And it would seem like, well, that's the wrong thing to do. Maybe it's a phone call. Maybe Maybe it's just to call up someone and go, you know what? I've been thinking about this. I was wrong in that. Or maybe it was something like, hey, um... You know, you were asking who messed that thing up, and I didn't say anything because I was kind of scared. It's super, super uncomfortable, but I just want to tell you I was the one who did it. It's something like that. And then I watched how God took that one little offering and turned it into something great. God is in the business of taking something simple and turning it into something sacred. It's what he does. 
And so for us, we think, well, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to call that person. I'm not going to get, I'm not going to make this right. I'm just going to, you know, and it, it might be something super small, like, ah, eh, my taxes, I forgot to, to talk about this particular income. I'm not going to do a whole, you know, supplemental thing for just this. I've forgotten about this 10 grand that came from here. I'm not going to do all that. It'll all work out. Government's got whatever. And, and you just, in the back of your mind, like the Lord's just going, Supp- supplemental, man. <laughs> I know it's a pain. Just, just fill it out. Send it in. Pay your taxes. Just do it. And you're, eh, I don't know. Something simple. Not a big deal. I don't even know what the taxes would be on that. All of a sudden you just go, I'm going to do so. <laughs> I'm going to do this. And you begin to experience something in your relationship with God that you've never experienced before. I, I know a lot of our stories, and I know there's been times like that, but maybe there's something now for you. There's somebody you need to forgive that's wronged you. And maybe it's not just a simple offering in that case. Maybe they've really wronged you, but may, maybe it's just, maybe it's someone you need to just let off the hook. Maybe it's as simple as, um, you know, you, you just, this nagging feeling about giving something to someone or giving to the church or giving here or there. Maybe it's, maybe it's your first phone call to say, I got a problem and I need to let somebody know. And it's a difficult phone call, but it's just small. Gideon does this. Watch what happens. The angel of the Lord touches the meat and the unleavened bread with the tip of his staff that was in his hand. Fire flared from the rock Okay, consuming the meat and bread, and the angel of the Lord disappeared. <laughs> so, so here's Gideon. He makes this whole meal, right? He gets all the, gets the young goat, gets the bread, all this kind of stuff, makes it up, puts it in a basket, pull, takes the broth, brings it all out, you know. The angel of the Lord's waiting for him. He puts it on, and they say, pour it out. And he's like, I don't know what you're doing, but okay. And all of a sudden, he's just like, Dzzzt. and it says, and then he's gone. Now, I don't know about you, but I would be like, what? <laughs> what was that? What was that? As a matter of fact, uh, here's what Gideon says. And, and, and we got to understand, uh, well, let, let me just back up a little bit. Let me just explain this to you. God, like for God, when we make these little steps of obedience, it's a big deal to him. He takes those simple steps and he turns them into something sacred. Matter of fact, Jesus talked about this a couple times. He said, one time he said, um, I think I have it written down in, in Luke chapter 16, verse 10. He says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And God, God doesn't see things on the guy who, who quits his job and goes to become a missionary. That's a much, much bigger deal than the person who just tells the truth when it's hard. God doesn't look at that. He says, man, that, that guy who's able to tell, or that, that uh, woman who's able to tell the truth when it's hard, man, that's a really, really big deal to me. I take that simple thing and I make that sacred. He said one time he was, he was in the temple with, with his disciples and he's across from the, from the giving thing. So, so we have this box in the back that Bob was talking about. If this is a time for giving, we put our connection cards in it. And so um, it's kind of like that, that people would come in, um, but they'd kind of make a big deal out of it. And so, like, if you were writing, like, a big check this morning, which we totally encourage you to do, um, uh, you, you, you would, like, kind of, you'd, like, take, you know, take your check, and you're just, like, 
uh, you know, how many zeros for, for $10,000? How many zeros? Oh, okay. And you make a big deal and you, you put it in there and everyone, yo, oh, oh my goodness. Oh, wow. You're so awesome. Well, Jesus sits opposite, uh, like here with his disciples. And this widow comes in and takes uh, like two pennies. And it's like, clink, clink. <laughs> That's it. And Jesus gets all his disciples, come here, come here, come here, come here. I got to show you something. This is, too, this is too big a deal to just let go by. See that lady over there? See that, see that widow over there? She gave two pennies. Unbelievable. She gave, she gave in more than all those other people. Because it was just this little step of obedience. And Jesus at that time took that simple thing and he made it sacred. So sacred that we're reading about it now. This is the idea. And so, so all of a sudden, he puts this thing down. It burns up. And uh, it, it's, this, it's this huge deal. And here's what Gideon said. Gideon now realizes for the first time, this is a big deal. This is really God. And so this is what he says. Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord. He acclaimed, alas, sovereign Lord. I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Now, um, alas is just not a good word for what Gideon was feeling. Like when we see the word alas, because we're English speakers, we think like, tally ho, you know, uh, alas, I've seen the angel of the Lord, you know, whatever. Uh, or like, alas, over yonder, you know, Hills, my fair lady cometh on a pony. I, I don't know. You know I, like, we think of alas as like, da, 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 alas. That is not at all, does not give you the idea of what alas really means. As a matter of fact, when you search for that word in the Old Testament, you, you, you get this. This is um, uh, about a year ago, I did a series called Decisions, Decisions. And uh, we had these boxes of Lego, fake Legos. I don't know if you remember them. They were real big. Um, of course, you remember them because you remember all my sermons. But, uh, uh, and it was on boundaries and all this kind of stuff. And so one, on Saturday, I, I had to paint all those boxes. I have this paint sprayer. And, uh, and so I was painting them different colors, you know, the colors of, of Legos and stuff. And um, so what happens with this paint sprayer, I, I got it from Harbor Freight, so it's not like really expensive and you use it for just stuff like that. And so my compressor will, you know, keep air in it, but then it'll fill up too much and it has this little release thing and it'll go, you know, just to make sure that the air is out so that it doesn't, you know, explode. And so as you're using it and just kind of sitting there, it'll just, you know, it'll make that noise. And so, you know, every like 45 seconds, it, you know, no big deal. So I had the nozzle in one hand, uh, and it's attached to this long hose I had. And I, it had been a while since I had heard, you know. And so I pulled it, and the, the canister tipped over, uh, bringing paint into the place where air is supposed to shoot out. And so I had it in my hand and I looked over and just, you know, that in my mind I had calculated, we're really close to... <laughs> so I went running over to get it and right when I went to grab it, it went... And uh, here's a picture of me after that happened. <laughs> 
Now, I'm, I'm smiling, but if you knew what was going through my mind, uh, just, just a few seconds prior to that, because what had happened was, um, what you couldn't see were my shorts. It started, I was actually looking down at it. And so when I went to go grab it and it went, okay, it almost blew my face off, as you can see there. But then all that rest of the paint hit the side of my house, on my screen, on my windows, on my, the stucco. And I went, oh, alas. <laughs> that is alas. It's, oh. Like, I was thinking to myself, I got to fix the boxes. I don't know how to get paint out of a screen. I don't, I, I don't know. I, I can't spray it because I've got all these wet boxes everywhere. And I, my face is just shot off, you know. And, I, and my pants. I mean, everything is just, it's just, oh. That is exactly what Gideon said here. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, oh. How am I going to clean up this mess? How, how am I? I've seen God. I've, uh, uh, I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Um, you know, as I just kind of talk to people about their journey with God, so oftentimes there's, we get to a spot where we're like, oh, I'm in, I, am not, I am not in the place God wants me to be. This is, I am not in a spot. I know, like, if God had to just come and say, okay, <laughs> sheep on this side, goats on that side, I'm, go- I'm, I'm gone with the goats, you know. If, if God had to come down and say, hey, I need, I need you to come into my office, it's not going to go. I'm probably getting fired. I, I mean, it's just you, you find yourself in that spot. This is where Gideon finds himself in the spot. And I don't know how his mind is racing, but this is the tension that we see in the story all the time. Gideon is trying to do the right thing. He's living in fear. He's hoarding. He's just trying to work it all out. And, and he's realized that God, he's, he's come face to face with the living God. And so this is, this is a big, big deal for Gideon. And, and I'm just so encouraged by what the Lord says to him. Now, the angel of the Lord has disappeared. So what we'll see in this next verse is it's actually the Lord talking, Adonai. Uh, and, and so when he says um, uh, uh, the sovereign Lord, that's Yahweh. And then there's, there's Lord Adonai. And, and so, you know, you just kind of get, get these, these heavy words. Of, of what um, Gideon is, is trying to get across. And Gideon gets across the fact that I, I'm not worthy of this God. I'm just not worthy. And so what would you expect God's response to be? You know, Gideon, your sin has, you know, your lame offering. You know, you were hiding cakes of, <laughs> you know, where did you find the goat? Because I thought they were all gone. Like all, all this kind of stuff. And, and God, God says a word that I... I hope, you'd, I hope you'd accept just the, the kind of um, relief that this word brings, but also the weight that this word brings. Now, I'll explain that in a second. The Lord said to him, peace. 
Do not be afraid. You're not going to die. Some of us this morning, just that prayer, is, we could take that out. Like, like you're thinking about your finances and the word God has for you is peace. Do not be afraid. You're not going to die. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe grades are coming in the mail pretty soon and your parents are going to get those grades. And the word of the Lord that says to you, peace, do not be afraid. You're not going to die. Just these things. Now that's freeing in the sense that Gideon thought he was going to die. Gideon thought, I, I, I saw this angel of the Lord and now I, I'm, un, I'm not worthy and, and I, I blew it. And man, he turned something simple into something sacred and I, I'm not there at all. And God says, peace. And, and that's, that's a freeing thing. But it's also, um, it should bring a seriousness to how we live our lives. Because here's what God is saying. You can trust me with everything. Everything. You can trust me with everything. Now, while that's freeing, it's also very um, weighty. Because it means that you, you really can trust him with your finances. That you really can trust him with your holiness. That you really don't have to try to hide everything in a wine press. And you can live life out in the open and you don't have to medicate or try to get control or try to manipulate or try to, um, uh, you know, kind of get people to do what you want because if you don't, then it won't and all this kind of stuff. Peace. Don't be afraid. You're not going to die. And while it's freeing from a relational standpoint with God that he doesn't say, Gideon, you are sinful and I'm going to kill you right now. While that's freeing, there's another element of it that says, you can trust me. You can forgive that person. It's going to be okay. The, your retirement that you're just all freaked out about and you check, you, 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 got, a, you got a little uh, bookmark on, when you click it, there's your, there's your number and you just want to see that number go up. And uh, God would say the same thing, peace, peace. Do not be afraid. You're not going to die. You can begin to trust me in all these different things. So here's what Gideon did. Gideon builds an altar to the Lord there. And he called it the Lord is peace. And it stands in Ophrah to this day. Here, here's what I'd like to just say about this morning. Uh, if you're not experiencing peace, you are truly not experiencing God. I just let that sit for a little bit. If you're not experiencing peace, then you're, you're not truly experiencing God. Because the Lord is peace. And, and, and so the question we have to ask ourselves then is why? Why am I not experiencing God in a certain area of my life? Why am I not experiencing peace in a certain area of my life? Like I think about um, dating or whatever. And I just, it makes me know, man, I, I like this person. But how do I get them to know I like them without driving them away? And I, uh, okay, there, there's something going on there. You're, you're not experiencing peace. You're not truly experiencing God. In your career. Oh, I, I should be farther along. I, I've been in this job. I've wasted the last decade in this job. And I just had so many more hopes and dreams for myself. And I just, I, 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 I. I should be farther along. Ah, oh, okay. 
You're not experiencing peace, and you're truly not experiencing God. Now, the question that I can't answer for you, that you're going to have to answer for yourself this week, is why? Is it, is it something you're hiding or hoarding? Is it something where you're saying, well, I, I'm not experiencing peace because I want to stay in control and I realize I can't control and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, I don't know. I, I've no, I, don't, I, can't t- I can't tell you why. I can point out some things in my own life that I've seen why I don't experience peace uh, in different relationships or whatever. Or, and, and it all comes down to things the Lord would tell me, you know, well, you, you needed to be right in this situation and you didn't get to say you why you should be right. And so you have anger. Be at peace. Don't be afraid. You're not going to die. Give that over to me. There have been times in my life where finances were like a really big deal. Like I just didn't trust God and my finances. And that all comes from, you know, my childhood and you know, all the psycho stuff that you can go to counseling and figure out. But, 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 but again, who cares? It doesn't matter. Who, who's my answer? My, my hope, my, my strength is in, is in the Lord. The Lord is peace. Like the Lord is peace. And so if I don't have peace in my finances, it's a, it's a God issue. You might not have peace for your, for your future, your eternity. You might think, man, you know, life is short and then I'm going to die. And I just don't feel comfortable with that. Well, that, that's a God thing. God's worked all that out through Jesus Christ. And so the question really is, if you're not experiencing peace, you're, 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 truly, you're not truly experiencing God. And, and we'll write this each week we've been writing a question and posting it on our facebook uh, to just kind of interact with people and our our question this week will have to do with that what is that how does that look what how does that manifest itself is it really true um do you do you wrestle with that a little bit like no the reason i don't have peace is because i have a boss <laughs> and and if you met him you wouldn't have peace either uh, well okay let's let's uh let's talk about that what, what we're going to do now is uh, we're going to take communion. And communion truly is the best example of something simple being turned into something sacred. It's an incredible way that God, that, that Jesus ushered in a new covenant. Like Jesus changed everything at Passover when he was setting communion up. Like everything. Like he basically said, the Passover is no longer going to commemorate you coming out of Egypt. The Passover is going to be remembrance of what I did on the cross, which is mind-boggling. But he basically takes these simple things. I mean, we have, uh, uh, you know, the unleavened bread that Gideon made for the angel of the Lord right there. We've got uh, juice that represents Christ's blood. But I mean, look at it. It's, it's, it's. It's basically crackers and a clear plastic thing with juice in it. It's about the simplest thing you could imagine. But on the night Jesus was betrayed, he set up a system that says it's so much more than that. This represents the new covenant. This represents the fact that you have access to God, that you don't have to go to a temple anymore to visit God. That you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. 
This represents that, that as you kind of stumble with your shortcomings and all this kind of stuff, that there's, there's Christ's blood died for all that, and you can be forgiven of your sins. You're a last moment where you made your worst mistake, and you went, oh, that's taken care of at the cross. You can be free from that. And so what we do at communion is we essentially together celebrate the fact that God takes something simple and he turns it into something sacred. And so as a community, we together say, I want to be identified with that. I want to be identified with the body and the blood and the sacrifice of what Jesus did. And so on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he blessed it, which I, I just think is so sweet because the, 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 his kind of manifestation of the angel of the Lord uh, was just such a great reminder to us that we have this heavenly father that loves us and wants relationship with us. And so he blesses it and he breaks it. And he says, this is my body, which has been broken for you. Whenever you take and eat of this, remember me. And then he takes the cup and he blesses that. And he says, this is my blood, which has been poured out for the remission of sins. Anytime you take and drink of this, remember me. And so when we come forward, and what I'll ask you to do is when you're ready, um, you just make your way down the side and, and, and get this cracker and this clear plastic cup. But I just want to tell you that at that time when you take that, something sacred happens. We are identifying ourselves with the community of Christ followers that say, I accept this representation of your body. I accept this representation of your blood. And I am committing my life to you in taking this. And so we take something simple and we turn it into something sacred. And it's, it's beautiful. And Jesus does that for us. 